Hello, I'm Dr. Gloria Horsley. And I'm her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Heidi and I want to welcome you to Open to Hope Conversations, the podcast. We believe that the greatest gift you can give yourself after a loss is hope, using this moment to connect with others who have not only survived, but thrived. So let's get started. Welcome to the Open to Hope show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my daughter and co-host. Dr. Heidi Horsley. These shows are brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with a mission of helping people find hope after loss. Well, Heidi, we have got a great guest for these guys today, don't we? Yes, she's one of my favorite people in the grief and loss world, and I am so glad we were able to get her on today because she is extremely busy. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about from grief from darkness to light with Joanne Cacciatore, and we're going to have some wonderful ideas and thoughts for you on how to have hope and heal during these times. How do you want to introduce Joanne? I'd love to. So Dr. Joanne Cacciatore is a bereaved mom. She is a professor at Arizona State University and the founder of the Miss Foundation, which is an international nonprofit with 75 chapters worldwide. Uh, she is the author of Bearing the Unbearable, Love, Loss, and the Heartbreaking Path of Grief, and the founder of the Sella Care Farm, a therapeutic farm for people that have had loss. And I actually love all the things she's doing. She is extremely well published as well. She has done really incredible things in the field. So welcome to the show, Joanne. Thank you, Heidi. Thank you for having me. And thank you for all the nice commendations. I appreciate that. Well, it's, it's so great to have you on today. And you know, I was reading through your material and, and one of the things that really struck me, um, your life was going along, uh, I guess, well, and uh, you, you lost your baby daughter. And you say that it changed your life. But oh, I love the comment you made. Uh, I paraphrase it a little bit. But in darkness, I found my true self. Yeah. Having that baby really threw you for a total loop, right? Yeah, I, uh, you know, motherhood, mothering was the most important central identity to my idea of who I was in the world. And uh, so I had a very high importance of motherhood is what we call it in the research. And uh, when she, when my daughter died, it, it uh, literally spun me into what I call the darkest, darkest abyss I've ever, I could have ever imagined. Uh, I don't even know if I could have imagined it. it uh, the pain, uh, the grief, the wellspring of, of emotion that came over me was something that I can't put to words, really. Even 25 years later, uh, I can't put it to words. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I that I knew was that her life was going to have to have some meaning. And the only way that it could have meaning is if I chose to be able to stay with the pain long enough, fully inhabit it long enough for that to be able to transfigure and to be able to change it into something else. Because grief, as you know, is, a, is, an, is an emotion uh, that encapsulates many other emotions. Lots of emotions come under the umbrella of grief. And if we can stay with all of those emotions, emotion comes from a Latin word, movir, which means to move through. And if we can stay with that, it moves us into something different when we're ready. And so I knew that I had to do something with my life that honored her and that would be meaningful so that, you know, if I ever got to see her energy again, however that shows up, uh, that she, you know, she'd 
go like this and mom you you did me proud you know and uh and so uh you know it was it was a few years before i was able to start the miss foundation i was just working part-time i was a mom i had three little ones at home i was not a therapist i hadn't even gone to school at that point okay so um i went back to school actually and got a few degrees and then went on to graduate school got a master's got a phd and so, so your daughter's death life and death transformed your life it sounds like completely i mean 180 degree turned everything inside out and upside down and of course i would give it all back to have her of course right, right? there's no question about that but the reality is i didn't have that choice yeah. and so i'm left what choices am i left with that my life could have become a smaller version of me mm -hmm. and a more contracted and less compassionate version of me or when I was ready, I could stay with the pain and allow that pain to transfigure my life. And I could become a bigger version, more capacious version, more compassionate version of my potential. And, and to me, that was the only answer because otherwise her death for me would have felt in vain. Mm -hmm. and, and that to me would have been worse than her dying. Talk about staying with your grief. One of the things that's very hard is that, as C.S. Lewis said, I never knew grief felt so much like fear. And mm -hmm. so fear is one of the emotions that we often see. And it can be not just fear, but it can reach the threshold of terror, right? Because it is absolutely terrifying when the person you love most in the world dies and you don't expect that death to ever happen, which is true for most families when a child family member dies. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, so this fear, one of the things that's important is that this fear um, has to have a safe place to be held. That's one of the things that we know in trauma research is the ways in which people are able to approach their trauma is by feeling held and by feeling safe. And that's the role of a good therapist. That's the role of a good friend. That's, a go that's the role of a good spiritual leader. That's the role of a good neighbor. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, um, you know, we live in a really disconnected world where I call it in my book, I call it the happiness cult, where everybody's trying to be happy all the time and all they want to experience are these feel-good emotions. And I think we're doing ourselves and other people in the world who are suffering a great disservice with mm -hmm. that because then we don't know how to stay with people when they're in pain and how to bear witness when they're in pain. So we sort of, you know, we, we go over to our friend's house when he or she is in pain and we say, well, let's go have a drink or let's go to a movie or let's do something different rather than let me sit down and cry with you and remember with you and let's pour through pictures together and, and let me listen to the out, to sort of this, this um, expression of your pain. It's hard to find someone who can do that. So we're so we're trying to fix it instead and make it better rather than just allowing rather than just validating and acknowledging and being with that person in the moment. That's exactly right. That's okay. exactly right, Dr. Heidi. So, That's it. So I you, love this. So we need to find people who will bear witness. Yeah. To maybe even years ago, pain that oh, we have sure. to be that yeah. are willing to rehear our story and and bear witness to that story. Yeah. Yes, that's absolutely right. So the writer, it's one of my favorite quotes, Catherine Porter said, the past is never where we think we left it. Right? Mm, I and, like and, that. And, and so I've worked with, I've worked with uh, bereaved mothers at the care farm who had babies who died in, 19, in the 1950s. Wow. Mm -hmm. It's, it's super powerful when it happens because it's so apparent to me that in all of these years, they've never had a safe place to approach their pain, their loss, and thus never had a safe place to approach their love. Mm -hmm.
right? I like that. Let's say that again. Never had a place to experience their loss, so they don't have a place to experience their love. Right, right, right. And, and so all of this became sort of suppressed. And, and I see it in people where it's been 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 or more years. And they've had, you know, they've had this terrible, terrible, traumatic, catastrophic loss. And then life sort of gets layered on top of it. And they've never been able to approach it safely because the world is sending messages. Don't feel anything but happy and don't talk about it and don't remember and move on. And why are you still crying? Mm -hmm. And so that gets internalized. And then it gets, then it gets overlaid with more children or jobs or moving or or drugs and alcohol or, or gambling or porn or whatever distraction we whatever machination we go through to avoid feeling right and then you know and then all of a sudden it the the, the dam breaks mm -hmm. right and it, it becomes a crisis and I, many of the people with whom I work who are in that tragic circumstance and I'm not a victim blamer so I think I think society is responsible for that I think society has to take responsibility and say we're going to change it and we're going to make the world a more compassionate place for people who are suffering for people who are grieving it's the Sela care farm s-e-l-a-h care farm and um you know the the miss foundation is an organization I started that 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 helps families whose children are dying or have died at any age or any cause but uh, three and a half years ago, um, we acquired 10 acres on the river it, just outside Sedona. Mm. And, um, and I met this horse on a trail. It's a long story, but it's a beautiful story worth, mm -hmm. worth checking into. Um, and the horse was 700 pounds underweight, uh, was being worked as a pack animal and was extremely emaciated and uh, dehydrated. And actually his bones were coming through his skin. The bones of his back were coming through his skin. He was very, very close to death. And the man, uh, the handler, the wrangler was beating him when I found him, I was on a hike. It's a very long story, but it took me three days and I rescued him. And during that time, my clients who are native clients, I work with a lot of native clients whose children have died. And so many of the native clients with whom I work, we'd have a session and they knew about my horse. And then after the session, they would say, can I go sit with your horse? And I was, all of them said that. And I was like, sure, okay. And they would go out and just sit with my horse. Some wanted me to stay, some wanted me to leave so they'd have time alone. But I noticed that they would just sit with him and he would just stand with them. And there was something powerful, inexplicably powerful. The horse was bearing yeah. witness. The horse was a better therapist than me. And, and the, horse, I, the horse wasn't trying to fix it. The horse was just listening, right? Just being there. No judging. No handing of tissues, you know, no, aren't you better by now? No, here, try this, right? The horse was just there. Mm -hmm. And and the other powerful piece is the horse knew. The yeah. horse knew trauma. The horse knew loneliness. Yeah. The, horse, the horse knew fear. The horse knew sadness. The mm -hmm. horse knew all of these things and you could feel it from him. He's, mm -hmm. he's, he's fully recovered now. He's here on the care farm mm -hmm. and despite being physically fully recovered, you can still feel those things from him now. And so, um, so these people were connecting with this horse in such a big way. And I was like, wow, there's something happening here. So I started looking into, um, you know, equine therapy, but that didn't feel like what was going on. So your traditional equine therapy, you get on a horse, you mount a horse, or you can do unmounted, but the horse gets altered and you, you move the horse in such a way 
this was very different. This was very symbiotic. It was very relational. I'm collecting new data and it's a descriptive study. And because we want to be able to, I'm working with a student, we want to be able to define what social support in traumatic grief is. Mm -hmm. uh, there's lots of talk we know, and I've done research myself about how effective as a coping mechanism social support is, but we have very few studies that actually specifically define social support and the sources. And so we looked at all the sources and one of the questions that we asked in the survey was, how satisfied have you been as a grieving person with the, with the compassion that you've received from these groups? And we asked about you know, medical providers and counselors, therapists, uh, spiritual leaders, funeral directors, uh, investigators, all kinds of professions, friends, family, colleagues, and neighbors even. And then I threw animals and pets in there. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you that animals and pets blow everyone out of the water, all other wow. categories. Wow. We closed the study, so I analyzed that one question. And when I looked at that question, I had to go back and make sure because I was so shocked by the, by the percentages. It is statist very statistically significant. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, listen, tell us uh, how people come to your farm and tell us about your program, how we could get in touch with you. After meeting Chamaco the horse, I started looking into therapies and then I found care farming. And so we, we actually created a care farm and we've moved along quite quickly. And now we have programs launched and we're building a respite house so people can actually come and stay here on the care farm farm uh, and have an immersive experience and uh, so we have 40 almost 40 rescue animals they're all rescue we don't reproduce we only rescue because there there seems to be something in that united knowing of all of the pain that really helps people and so they come and they help us take care of the animals who we rescued and um and we do uh nature-based ecotherapies and we have contemplative practices here we have yoga here um so we have a lot that we're offering people in day programs once the respite house is built then it'll be like full evening people will get to stay and Joanna, don't people that come that are grieving, they, they work on the farm and they have different jobs, right? It's very yeah. empowering what you do. Yeah, it's meaningful work. So people will get to do things like we had a bereaved dad here um, and, and he helped build our goat barn, right? Wow. So uh, that was really important to him. Uh, he actually bonded with one of our little goats named Gretel. And so he is in love with Gretel and she follows him all over the farm. And so he wanted to do some some work and when he found out about um about the goat barn that we were building he said can i come and help and so they came up and he helped for two weekends and we got the goat barn up so yes meaningful work is really important not just because we're moving our bodies we're out in nature we're getting some sunshine fresh air open skies green trees right but there's something about being able to contribute and give back and help mm -hmm. someone or an, another being whether it's a human or non-human right yeah, that's one of the things that we found that really moves people along. At first, they need to take care of themselves. But yes. then when they're ready, they can move out and take care of other things. And it yes. becomes real yes. important. Yes. Well, you can also, I don't want to miss for the therapists who are watching this show, the people that uh, need continuing ed credits or want to be trained in grief and loss. You have a program there, right? Yes, we have a program. And so we're, we have a, a four-day certification program, 30 CEUs. Uh, it's certificate.missfoundation.org. And 
uh, it, we teach specific to traumatic grief. So it's, it's not really a gerontologically focused course. Um, it's really for traumatic grief. And that's because a lot of universities already offer, a lot of gerontological programs are already out there, but there's very little on traumatic grief, actually. The pedagogical models really consistently fail at the university level. So yeah. we really wanted to offer something. And so they go into our list then, and then we can send people. So if someone's looking for a provider who's specifically trained, they can also find a provider at that link as well. Your book again is Bearing the Unbearable, Love, Loss, and the Heart breaking path of grief and where can people get that and give us your website oh i think amazon has it and wisdom publications of course the publisher sells it on their on their page um, the, we have a few websites miss miss foundation.org um, I have a website that has a lot of grief resources, which is just my name.com, joannecacciatore.com, J-O-A-N-N-E-C-A-C-C-I-A-T-O-R-E.com. The Sella Care Farm has its page, S-E-L-A-H carefarm.com, sellacarefarm.com. So we have a lot of different venues for people to get help. Well, Joanne, thank you so much for being on the show and for all the wonderful things you're doing. It's just the absolutely amazing you're fabulous and i can't wait one of these days i've got to come and visit the farm oh please do i would welcome the horsley family here of course i agree joanne and thank you so much for everything you're doing for the world you have had you are making a profound difference and i will definitely join my mom because i want to see what you're doing firsthand oh i uh, love that you're, you're an inspiration thank you both thank you both much love thank you for having me Love to you, and we want to thank everybody for joining us today on this show. And uh, we hope you visit us at opentohope.com. And we want to remind you that if you've lost hope, please lean on ours until you find your own, and God bless. I'm Dr. Heidi Horsley. You have been listening to Open to Hope, the podcast. You can follow Open to Hope on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To learn more, visit us at opentohope.com and go to Apple Podcasts to subscribe. I'm Dr. Gloria Horsley. Join us again next week for another Open to Hope conversation, where we invite you to lean on our hope until you find your own.